Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's podcast. My guest today is Steve Roeder. He is the Chief Marketing Officer at Acrolynx. Acrolynx has a software platform that helps companies create great content at scale by ensuring all their content is produced with a single voice. Steve has previously served as a VP of Global Marketing at Brightcove and as a Director of Marketing at Adobe, among other significant marketing roles and even as a company founder. And today we're going to talk about ensuring a consistent tone for your brand. So, Steve, welcome to the podcast. It's great to be here, Chris. Um, so lots of companies, of course, now content marketing is a big thing and there's a demand for a lot of content, which means you need many, many people helping to produce that content and that can create some problems. So what are the risks of having multiple people creating content for your brand? Well, I mean, the, the, the stakes are really high, right? I mean, if you think about, um, you know, why all this is happening in the first place is that uh, you and, and, and I and, and, and probably everyone listening to this podcast, we buy things differently now. We, we don't go into a store and just immediately talk to a salesperson. We don't uh, necessarily, uh, you know, make purchase decisions based on these uh, kind of just face-to-face interactions. We, we base it on content. And that content in many ways becomes the, uh, the lifeline between a company and their customers. And uh, so they have a lot riding on it. And at the same time, there's been this surge of, of content production going on uh, so that not only is uh, content being kind of controlled and distributed through a single point within an organization, but everybody's producing content, whether it's people blogging on behalf of the company, whether it's uh, product managers, for example, writing content or, uh, or even uh, you know, third parties or freelancers or contractors it's coming from every part of the organization. So the stakes are high and the complexity there is really where things start to break down. Right. So uh, the risks, you know, you could you could kind of imagine what those would be uh, the wrong tone of voice of a company, uh, the wrong, uh, you know, even, uh, you know, kind of uh, using words and phrases that don't make sense for that brand. Yet that person's style kind of wrote it that way or, you know, even even uh, kind of more extreme cases, the risk of having, uh, you know, kind of renegade content go out that isn't compliant with uh, either f- legal requirements or at least internal policy guidelines around, uh, you know, statements that the company makes. I mean, you know, the, I guess the risks are the risks are high and it's only getting harder and harder for companies to manage that. Right. And yeah, with a lot of people, there are those challenges, even um, in some examples, I've I think you and I discussed previously just about inconsistent usage of key terms and and so on. Yeah. So it's I mean it, just just as a uh, I mean a funny example one one company uh, you know is uh, that we we think about uh, you know we 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 analyzed their content. We said, you know, you have thirty different ways to say "turn the computer on" in your documentation, and is it you know it could be push the button, turn the click this, turn that. But you know, it's all done differently, and in many ways, that might not seem like a big deal. But uh, extend that to uh, another very large company that uh, that we work with as an example uh, that was making a major strategic decision to uh, enter into the on-demand or cloud. Uh, uh, software as a service segment, 
And they were making lots and lots of acquisitions in this area, and they were continually acquiring customers, more writers, I mean, uh, acquiring companies and had more and more writers writing about their strategy. But, you know, if you think about even just that simple concept of how do you phrase that you have a cloud strategy, do you say, you know, we're software as a service, do we say we're SaaS, do you say we're on demand, even that becoming inconsistent starts eroding that brand credibility, it, it, it erodes their communication, it becomes incredibly more expensive to manage and maintain. So lots of problems happen downstream when people start, uh, you know, kind of uh, becoming, I guess, uh, a little bit more casual and loose around the way in which they communicate, especially for large organizations that want to speak with one voice. Exactly. And I can imagine this might seem nitpicking, but if you're a global organization and you're going to translate those things, um, if you have 20 different ways of saying it, that's, that's a lot more work on the translation end than it, having. It this. is. Yeah, you're right. Absolutely right, though. But I mean, it, it's not nitpicky at all. I mean, yeah, you know, some, uh, some, some people in the audience might be uh, directly responsible for uh, those localization budgets. They know it. I mean, those, those people know how, how expensive it gets to translate, uh, you know, multiple documents into multiple languages. And uh, just the reuse alone, one of our customers said they're saving millions of dollars by just reusing the, the similar words and phrases that, uh, that have already been translated and already been uh, reproduced. Well, why reinvent that, that phrase and word again? And something as simple as saying, uh, Apple is the number one computer maker, and then something you know, someone another writer says, "We're the number one computer maker," or uh, "The world's number one computer maker, maker is Apple." Well, those three things are different in the eyes of a translator, and therefore you've multiplied your cost times your expense times three just by not using a phrase that's already been translated into multiple languages. So it's just a quick example, but I think it, it really does hit it, uh, another pain point directly resulting from this kind of content inconsistency. Okay. And then at the opposite end of the spectrum, if we uh, clamp down too hard or without thinking about how we want to sound to our customers, you have the opposite problem, which is um, failing what people might call the Pepsi challenges. Can you, um, can you tell your content from someone else's if you took off all the branding and logos? Yeah, I love that expression, right? It's kind of the um, it's the litmus test of uh, of uh, whether or not uh, that content is on brand. I mean, I, you know, a really interesting way to think about this is if I took a a logo of a familiar brand, let's say it's uh, Coca Cola, and I put it in front of you, uh, and you know, we've all probably seen these on bad PowerPoint presentations where someone just cuts and cut cuts and pastes the logo onto a screen, but they didn't really do a good job, and it's distorted and kind of has like you know, the edging around or something, there's an immediate reaction that we all have, which is that's not how Coca-Cola should be represented. That's not on brand for them. That's not how uh, they they would want to be perceived. And and in the same way that that visual uh, representation of the brand, that translates directly into their content. If your content is not on target with the same voice and tone, you're going to know. I mean, imagine opening up, imagine you buy the new iWatch. Everybody goes out and gets excited. You buy the iWatch and you look at the manual and it looks like something you might have, uh, you know, you might find it in, in a toaster that you bought with, uh, you know, 30 different languages, you know, gray printing and, uh, you know, eight point font. You'd be shocked. You right. look at it and say, this is an Apple. This isn't how they want to represent their brand. This is off 
their, you know, this is not their voice. And, uh, you know, I think many people would have that reaction for all sorts of different products and companies that they're associated with. Right. And I'm sure as an example, I mean, Apple wouldn't want to sound like Samsung either. They wouldn't want all their content yeah. to be indistinguishable from not just um, that you would get the wrong impression, but that you would be you know, not separating yourself from other companies. And I think in our industry, because it's somewhat, oh, it's honestly fairly technical, um, there is a, a um, tendency to say things in a very narrow corporate way. And I think there's opportunities for people to distinguish themselves by thinking about what their tone can be and how they can create a different experience for their customers and add some emotional component to it without um, putting yeah. off their customers by sounding silly or frivolous, but you can still have a tone. And I guess that's what we're going to talk about next. Yeah, you're, you're right though. That's the tone can be a, a differentiator. It can be just as powerful. In fact, even more powerful because once people get past the logos and the visual representation of a brand, that interaction really starts coming through the words. Well, how are the, you know, and we, we so often overlook those, right? We, we think that, uh, you know, we'll spend time on a, on a, you know, on a, on a, on a brochure or something. And it's all about the design and the visuals, not realizing that ultimately, you know, this company is already familiar with us and they're looking at this thing. That's great. At first, it might attract them to pick it up, but once they get past that, it's all about the words. Right. So how, how does a company go about defining and creating a tone for itself? Um, I know, I mean, and I will link to this. There's a worksheet that your company puts out or a document called watch your tone, which I think is very helpful. It describes a lot of what we're talking about, but also walks a company through kind of a procedure to define, you know, well, yeah. I'll let you talk about it. Sure. No, no, this, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, and again, just to, to give people the background on this, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's a, um, it's a combination ebook and workbook. And it's not just our opinion. In fact, we, uh, we, we know that this is a topic that's near and dear to a lot of kind of subject matter experts. So we, um, in the, in the ebook, we have contributions from, uh, really, you know, just, I guess, absolute thought leaders in this space, people like Ann Handley, Doug Kessler, Andrew Bradenkamp. And, and those are all listed at the front of this, uh, uh, of the ebook. But what we do is we walk through kind of a systematic approach that goes from, you know, what is tone and how do you identify it for your organization all the way through very practical. Here are some workbooks that are worksheets that you can actually use in your company as you go about the exercise and the effort of defining this. Now, um, specifically to kind of get at the, you know, the, the first step of this process, we really, you know, it, it has to start with kind of that, that, uh, those, those company values, right? You have to think about what, what do you stand for as an organization and what are kind of those, those core distinguishing marks that, um, you know, that really make you different. And as we think about that, um, you know, we, we guide people to say, look, just pick three values, right? And then, you know, I'll give you an example of, you know, let's say it's a, a company that, uh, um, you know, just uh, just take a hypothetical company, and their, their values were: we want to be known as uh, being very rigorous in 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 our um, in the way in which we talk about our content, or I mean, our, our our business. We want to be idealists. We want to come across as people with a vision, 
and um, and we want to also come across as being curious. So that's those are kind of elements or, or, or foundational values of their tone that would turn into specific writing styles that might turn into you know uh, types of uh, styles that might be more asking questions or, or looking to the future more as opposed to concrete like you know we are a uh, you know we we manufacture uh, rubber connectors for this and this is what we do you know sometimes that might be just a kind of very factual what they want it to be known as more aspirational so again um, as we go through this the those that's really the starting point Chris is just saying okay what are those core values uh, that you want to uh, embody in your content and that becomes the starting point for the rest of the conversation Right. And what I liked about the uh, ebook workbook was that for a lot of companies, and I know this is true in our industry, those there are going to be three core values that are going to be shared across the industry. So in our industry, one of them is going to be accuracy, of course, for analytical or um, life science type things. But once you get past those three, then there's an opportunity for three more that are the ones that will allow you to distinguish yourself, right? Right. And exactly. Then, Go ahead. Oh, well, then I was going to say, and then what is nice about it is that you give examples um, when you mentioned the the rigorous, idealist, curious, curious, there were some examples of what that would sound like and how you would phrase things and equally important, in fact, maybe more important is how you wouldn't say something. And, yeah. and so it makes it very clear to someone like, okay, here's here's how we're going to talk about a, a product or a service. Yeah, and that's that's really important because that turns into the the words you choose, even for communicating the exact same topic, right? Now, I'll, I'll just give you a couple of examples as we think about um, a. Uh, let's just say that uh, you want to communicate the history of your company. Well, you could say um, established in 1878, we remain a family firm with a proud heritage of excellence, serving uh, and uh, instilling in, in attention uh, to detail. Um, and that's more formal. Or you could say, you know, you could take that exact same topic and say, we've been around a long time, but we still care about going the extra mile and getting all those little things just right. Again, same as essential kind of message, but in a very different way. And uh, the, the, the workbook uh, section of this really walks through those different areas and says, OK, well, here's here's a way you could say this kind of uh, more flowing and, and versus punchy or more warm and detached. There's no absolute right or wrong. Right. We can't we can't just say, you know, every tone should look this way. I think it really comes down to picking what tone works best for your audience. Start with your, you know, with your audience in mind and your core values, and you'll start identifying those tone kind of levers uh, that that make sense for them. And then it's really about implementing and getting consistent with that. Right. And another thing that I appreciated in there was that um, this would come up in people's mind. Okay, now we're going to have this consistent tone across all our content. But are we going to write every type of document, in other words, a slide deck, a customer service email, um, a blog post in the exact same way so that it sounds completely the same? Yeah, I mean, there's it, – it's – you can't, right? And that's that's one of the things I think is uh, um, you have to take into consideration very seriously, uh, take into consideration the context of what – that unique piece of content 
where that unique piece of content will live. And here's a really good example. Um, in fact, there's a really uh, fantastic presentation. I think it was done by uh, Doug Kim and, and Jessica Redding of, of Microsoft. And it was called Don't Talk Nerdy to Me. And it was all about their kind of move to uh, replace kind of the traditional uh, perceived tone that Microsoft had and move to a, uh, a, a, you know, kind of a more, I guess, conversational tone that uh, was uh, very certainly demonstrated by other companies in the technology sector already. Um, and it was based on, you know, very, very deep research. And they realized after all this research that engineers are people. And they like, you know, they, they like to have uh, communication that is maybe uh, not just necessarily uh, completely factual, but that might be somewhat uh, engaging and entertaining. And uh, one of the examples in the presentation that they give is the infamous blue screen of death from Microsoft that used to come up with some incredibly cryptic, uh, you know, kind of code and, you know, like a countdown timer and something telling you your memory's faded, whatever it, it said. It, those of us that have experienced it can kind of see in our eyes exactly what that looks like. Um, and then they showed the new uh, kind of warmer, friendlier uh, uh, blue screen of death that, that, that comes up in, in, in the latest operating system. Now, going back to your question, you, even though that is uh, you, your desire is to be kind of more, uh, I guess, um, personable and maybe a, a tone of voice that's a, certainly uh, more approachable, that's a very serious situation when your product fails and you can't take that so lightly that it becomes obnoxious, right? You don't want to be cute or trite about something that is simply uh, an absolute uh, uh, situation where the person on the receiving that communication, their heart's racing a little bit. They realize they lost two hours worth of work and they're not going to sit back and go, oh, wow, this is uh, really cute that you put this message up, but it's not what I want to see right now. Right. I want to feel. I want to feel like you really uh, are empathizing with my situation. That you are trying to, you know, that, that this is serious to you, as as serious as it is to me. So again, just to, to your to your point, even though you have an established tone and you have those guidelines, you can't. It's not a one size fits all. Right. Exactly. And and I think there's some guidelines in there. And my. Next question is, all right, now you've established a tone. We've, you've gone through the exercises. You know what your company voice is trying to become. And um, no, few companies are probably starting this on day one. So it's going to involve a change for somebody, if, if not a lot of people. So how do you um, roll out a new tone and um, get people to a, a, adopt the, the new guidelines? Yeah, this is where it gets tough, right? Because um, to your very, you know, kind of opening statement where we set the stage for this conversation, conversation or the content's coming from everywhere. So how do you, uh, you know, all of a sudden, let's say the new, a new CMO joins a company and says, we need a more, you know, kind of tone that looks like this. Well, if you've got two writers sitting down the hall, that's a pretty easy thing to do. Hey, two writers, we've got a new tone. Let's start writing this way. That very rarely happens. So, and that you know, when that two writers is two thousand or twenty thousand people creating content, uh, it becomes a much more complex issue. So, uh, we we do offer some guidance around this. I mean, obviously, uh, kind of the, the human change management issues here of having uh, this be uh, first of all memorable. If it's just you know like. Hey, we have a new tone. Here's the, you know, here's the uh, uh, the eight point font document telling you all about the new tone. Please follow these guidelines. 
that's just going to get read and forgotten pretty quickly. But if there's a if there's a why behind it, like, hey, here's why we need to make this change. Here's why this is important. And here's some examples of how this content will look. Then all of a sudden, you've got people's attention, right? Then all of a sudden, you've got them to uh, embrace not only that there, there's a change in the way in which we want to communicate, but there's a reason behind it. And that's really important. Um, the second level down after the, the, the why is really getting to kind of the operational aspect of that. And uh, in many cases, that just comes through kind of, uh, uh, I guess, training and reinforcement. But, I mean, we like to say that, you know, there's technology that helps people do this. And, I, you know, certainly, uh, you know, that's one of the reasons why uh, some of the, you know, the largest companies in the world embrace technology like Acrolinks is just simply that, which is, look, we, there's no way we could get 2,000 or 20,000 people to understand this immediately. So we'll install some software that essentially guides the process of writing in a way that as people are writing, it'll say, you know what, this is a nice way to write this and we've written it differently. So here's how you should think about it. Again, just those are practical things as, as you try to do this at scale that just become very hard to manage with just training and, uh, and, and kind of uh, task management. Would you say um, your single best tip is then um, is the memorability part of it and explaining the why? I would. Yeah. I mean, you know, as much as I'd love to say, no, it's all about software that's going to solve the world. I mean, if people don't really buy into why that they're, they're not going to do it and it's, it's going to fall short. That's true of anything though, especially uh, any sort of large scale organizational change. And ultimately if that why is, is in, uh, I guess, uh, deeply rooted in conviction and it's deeply rooted in uh, a vision for where the company needs to be, then, then people will get it and they'll, they'll get behind it. And, uh, and that's true of uh, major organizational initiatives, but it's absolutely true of tone because that, that comes out in so many different things. It comes out in you know the, the, the way in which a customer service agent would respond on the phone. It comes out in the way in which someone would send an email to a, a, a client that uh, you know is struggling with uh, you know using the system. It comes out in the way in which you might present it the very first time you meet someone at a trade show. It it, it, it embodies everything you do and, and how that company is uh, positioned. And again. Um, Worst case scenario is, you know, that, that, that tone of voice is different in every single of those experiences. And all of a sudden, the company has no tone. They have no differentiation. So that's why, again, we kind of uh, like this idea, this, uh, this concept of speaking with one voice. Great. So I know we're, we're coming close to the possibly the end of your time. And I want to get into this case study from Illumina, which is a company in our life science industry. And I'll, I will try to tee it up. You can tell me about the details of, of what sure. and I'll ask you about their goals and so on. But, um, so Illumina has a protocol selector on their website and it asks you, for example, what sequencer you're using and what reagent kits you're using and possibly I think what types of DNA you might be sequencing and based on a number of selections compiles a, um, a protocol document for you to execute an experiment. And the challenge, I think, was um, that all those parts of the protocols, for example, preparation, um, reagent mixing, whatever it is, was um, 
were written by different people. And so they had this challenge of pulling together a large, maybe uh, document with eight different source components and having it sound like it was written by a single person. So if I got that right, I, um, you, you, uh, you set it up perfectly. I think the, um, you know, again, as I, uh, have, uh, I've looked at different kind of content challenges. Um, I, I absolutely have to, you know, kind of tip my hat to the uh, Illumina team. I mean, this was one of the best examples, most creative examples of uh, how our software can help uh, be a part of a bigger solution. And again, at the full, full uh, disclaimer here at the beginning, there is, uh, you know, we are not a technology that stitches together PDFs on the fly and things like that. That's a lot of uh, hard work and coding that they did behind the scenes. But um, I will tie in, you know, the kind of the, are part of it just because I think the, the whole story is a challenge that most people on this call probably, you know, and listening to this, this podcast probably struggle with, which is uh, content complexity. And if you look at the numbers, I'll just kind of rattle through the different, you know, the, 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 the audience they serve is coming uh, to, uh, to their site and they have a specific uh, kind of experiment in mind, but they, and they need a document that supports that, that initiative. Well, if you look at the, uh, the the combinations of four different instruments, two different sequencing methods, uh, six reagent kits, twenty kits for preparing the samples, three different indexing methods, uh, and fifteen methods to analyze the content, you do the math. They had four thousand five hundred and seventy different combinations of those documents or those content pieces. Now, um, there is no way possible, even with the largest of teams, you could keep four thousand five hundred and seventy. Uh, individual documents uh, authored and in shape, localized, and perfectly aligned with the, the current updates. They knew it was impossible, so they, they realized they kind of had to do a reset on, on that entire problem. So they created those content blocks uh, using, well, using different authors, multiple authors, but they, the, the kind of the glue that held that part together was uh, the software, our, our software that would essentially make sure that the tone and the phrases and the words all sounded like it was written from the same company. So that way when they, you know, no matter who came to the site and selected any one of those options, and this is how they kind of made it a selectable uh, menu list, any one of those 4,570 uh, options didn't matter. They would all stitch together seamlessly into something that read like it was from the same author. And that was really, I think, the magical part of it is, was that, uh, you know, using that kind of uh, uh, technology to kind of create this on the fly. But it never would have been possible if those content pieces were not really written in a way that, you know, sounded the same. All you would have is 4,570 things that kind of look like a bag of doorknobs. It could have gone much worse, in fact, if, if they didn't have that in place, because then all of a sudden you've just mechanized and automated a process for uh, creating a, a kind of a Franken content. So, um, you know, that, that, again, hats off to them for thinking through all the, uh, all the, all the issues. And, and uh, it was a tremendously successful case study. I think they presented this at a couple of other conferences and uh, has been uh, incredibly well received with uh, much visibility uh, from other people that are struggling with this kind of challenge. Yeah, well, my hat's off to them just for the amount of effort they put into a a protocol generating document. And I've written about before how important it is to 
um, think about the content that goes out to your customers after the sale because making them happy when they're using your product is the cheapest, most effective marketing you can do. And yet I think about the potential for doing something like that for creating your outbound marketing content and um, the volume of that that exists out in the world. Um, it just seems like there, there could be a huge amount of value um, all the way through your your content funnel, if you will. You're right. I mean, and again, I think the uh, the more uh, the more content that gets created um, for any product, right? You you know, whether it's kind of pre-sales or even kind of deemed as post-sales, that all goes into someone's purchase decisions. And in many cases, what is kind of unfortunately viewed as post-sales content often goes into a person's pre-sales decision in that whether or not they're going to even buy. And, even, you know, I mean, in many cases, they'll look at that content and say, am I going to buy this product? And I'm going to look at what kind of support and, and, uh, and service I'm going to get after the fact, not because I need to fix a problem because I don't have to even have a product yet, but I want to get an idea of what, what this company, uh, how this company treats, will treat me if I become a customer. So in many ways, you could envision that same scenario like Illumina had and being able to kind of stitch together a uh, product-specific uh, uh, portfolio of content that takes into account their, uh, you know, their needs as an early-stage buyer, as a middle-stage buyer, and even after they purchased and bought the product. Right. And the other thing I'll point out, and um, you know, it's not my intention to promote products on the, this podcast, but I do like to make people aware of possibilities. And what I like about this is um, at Words to Wow, I'm always thinking about how can we make content production easier? So two things happen here. One is a lot of people who are asked to create content aren't really excited about the idea because it takes work. And when you ask someone to produce written content, they think hard about it because they know it's going to last a long time and they may or may not feel like they're a strong writer. But having something like this at their disposal that can make part of that easier is I, I think a very important thing. And um, the other aspect of it is, is pulling things together. And then when it's written in that way, it will, it has to shorten the review process um, because it, it's just going to flow smoother. There won't be as many corrections about, um, you know, or disagreements about how do we say a certain thing. And, and so I think there's a, a lot of, um, advantage to be gained by implementing a style guide at the very least, something like that to um, help people make content production and review simpler. Yeah. I mean, it's really well said. I mean, our, one of those common reactions we get from people when they, after they install our software, for example, is, you know, imagine a large organization, you know, hundreds of, of content producers and, and, uh, you know, dozens of, of editors. Well, the editors are coming to us and, you know, originally, you know, the kind of might've been like, well, you know, is this going to put me out of a job? And then all of a sudden they realize I'm actually for the first time ever, I'm able to do the job I really like to do. I'm not checking for commas and, 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 and punctuation and, and bad grammar. I'm, I'm actually, talking about the story and the style and I'm looking at this because I don't have to kind of, you know, I guess look at the, uh, those, those granular details as much as I had to, I can focus on maybe even a higher level, uh, aspirational goal of making that content even better. So yeah, it, it works out. And to your point, I mean, it, it accelerates the whole process. 
Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think in, in based on my personal experience in the industry, that would be um, hugely valuable because a, a lot of times you're, you're kind of in the position of uh, just need to get it done. It's good enough. And in the back of your head, you're thinking we could make this so much better. And, and now I think with if people are smart about it and they think about these things, there there is a way to elevate the the quality of their content across the board. Yeah, well, I agree. That's our that's our goal too. Well, I want to thank you very much for your time today. That was um, a really enlightening conversation. I am sure that um, the people listening to this podcast are going to appreciate that because I know it is a challenge. It has been a challenge everywhere I've been, and I can't imagine there's anyone who doesn't struggle with. Um, getting their content to sound one consistent and two um, engaging in the way they'd like. Well, we really appreciate you inviting us on the show, Chris. This has been great. And uh, thanks for letting us uh, share a little bit more about what we're doing uh, with your audience. Well, it's my pleasure. And I will link, I will put a link of course to the watch your tone document um, and a couple of articles that you sent me in the show notes and, um, People can find you at Acrolinks, which is A-C-R-O-L-I-N-X dot com. All right. Thank you, Steve. Great. Thanks, Chris. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Life Science Marketing Radio. If you enjoyed it, a rating or a review on iTunes is always much appreciated. That will help me get more listeners so we can attract more fantastic guests. You can also find me on Stitcher Radio. And if you like, you can leave a comment on the podcast at words, the number two, wow.com. Have a great week, everybody. <laughs>